0: Hi everyone and welcome back to Into the Void. I'm your host Ant and you join me today for episode number 6 of my new show in which I share my weekly musings and streams of consciousness. So as you can hear, um, I'm back in the forest t- for today's recording which is really nice. Um, get some nice effects um, on the audio. Uh, Hopefully the rain will keep off so it shouldn't affect uh, the audio too much. Anyway, I hope you're all doing well and managing to um, thrive, as always, (laughs) during these rather intense times. So I want to just begin today's particular episode. Um, Something just came to me during the week and I think it's a really important issue and... um, I think it's something that we often, in sort of truth or conspiracy, spiritual circles, um, I think it's an issue we often forget about. And that's um, what I believe is a lot of cause of suffering and pain in the world. And that is um, resentment, or perhaps it's uh, better to describe it as harbouring resentment. Now, of course, we know um, that part of what is often described as living in a de-spiritualised word, in inverted commas, is um, as soon as we're born into modern Western society, obviously we're encouraged to not look at um, the deeper aspects of our pain, of our wounding, of our trauma. Uh, as we grow up, we're encouraged to, um, to not look at that in any particular any particular great way or any depth I would say that obviously as I've spoken about quite a lot recently during this woke era or wokeism or woke ideology whatever you want to call it there is this sense in which the system is trying to encourage what I call a very shallow um, idea of self-reflection and it's very it's actually encouraging a form of um, emotional immaturity as I've said before by creating um, victim um, groups. What I mean, uh, what I'm talking about, sorry, when I say a de world, I mean it's much more broader than that. It's also encompassing um, the fact that within the mainstream, within everyday consensus reality, the idea of anything existing beyond the material world is, is, is not accepted, is not widely discussed unless you're part of a kind of religion um etc so yeah um what i mean also um by resentment is this idea of i think this is true for many of us feeling that we can't actually express our true emotions or how we feel i mean we may well harbor resentment as we know towards particular individuals particular individual members of our family we may harbor resentment towards specific politicians or (coughs) specific uh political ideologies we may harbor resentment towards um you know our teachers when we were at school um our siblings or whoever i mean literally um the list um the list is 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 endless and it's falls falls under the category again of this idea uh, again what i've spoken about recently is this sort of link between the micro aspect in terms of the resentment we have towards actual individual people and the macro aspect which is obviously like political institutions or even specific corporations we may harbor resentment towards or employers or specific organizations that we feel have that we feel have have wronged us in some way and um the reason why i'm talking about resentment and why i think it is um the cause of a a lot of pain and suffering in the world is it's a way in which when we can't express um the true what i call the true magnificence sorry the true magnificence of our being then i feel we live a very we live a sort of very hollow a very um a very diminished life and as i was just saying i think that more and more society is trying to sort of push this idea where you know you should um embrace the uniqueness of yourself and you should express express sorry you know who who and what you are but i think that's only in a very very shallow way to be honest and it's not because in order to express ourselves in um in a true and sincere way perhaps that's a better way of putting it yeah in a sincere way often that can that can <laughs> cause cause problems because um especially here and again this is specific on um what what kind of um culture you're living in uh, and where you live in the world um in britain we have kind of like a very arrested development <laughs> historically emotionally at least you know the british the british stiff upper lip um, but of course, as we know, um, not being able to truly express ourselves um, along with co- cause causing uh, a lot of resentment um, can cause a lot of emotional and psychological um, problems as well. And I think another reason why I've raised this issue of resentment and why I, why I believe it is important is... I feel, uh, for many of us who um, are in a kind of truther conspiracy world, and even sort of new age spiritual, um, to a degree at least, I think we can we can forget about this aspect when we're looking outside of ourselves to attribute blame for our own personal pain, and I'm not saying we shouldn't call out evil as we sh- saw during uh, COVID in the last three years. It's quite right to do it and to resist when evil literally came right into our face in the form of a mask and whatever entities, went, what, one thinks of like, um, you know, Paul Levy's idea of uh, a wetiko, whatever entities were behind this political force that was forcing us to do the most extraordinarily insane and really harmful things for our health. So yeah, just it's important to to remember that we we should call out evil when we face it, and and not just be sort of very um, placid and and very weak in the face of evil. But by the same token, I do think, um, as I was just saying, that there is um, we do forget this aspect of i guess what i'm trying to say is when we get into looking at how the world really works looking at what are what part we can play in empowering ourselves in the midst of all of that when we look at the true um the true horror of the situation in in regard of you know the extent to which we do not express ourselves truly and freely the the extent to which we are under a barrage of social and psychological manipulation um, through the system but even um, accounting for that I do think that it is it's important to not get lost in all of that not get lost in in the blame game um, you know when we get when we fall down a lot of conspiracy type true for, um rabbit holes as I've done in the past because I think that can be done as a way of avoiding the inner work that we need to do. Um, I think as, as important as it is to look at um, real history, shall we say, and why certain events have happened and why the First and Second World War happened and why 9-11 ha- happened and, you know, h- who has benefited from, from the so-called War on Terror and who has benefited from the fake, uh, very recent pandemic, COVID-19, yes of course it's very very important absolutely to look at all of those areas but as i was just saying we shouldn't do that to the detriment of um our own our own inner work and why we still might be um harboring um resentments i mean this is something i'm not sure i've spoken about i don't think i have i might have done forgive me but I still harbour a lot of resentment because I'm in an environment where I'm exposed a lot to the BBC, so um mainstream narratives. So and that makes me very resentful of the fact that so many people are still listening to, you know, media outlets like the BBC who just pump out lies or at least half truths if I if I if I was being um if I was being kind towards that particular monstrous <laughs> organization so that's what i'm dealing with at the moment in terms of my own resentment is is trying to i know again this is something again within the kind of spiritual world we we hear a lot about but be the observer i think it's so true because um once we once we give away um When when anger is created, like if I'm getting angry and resentful to the fact that I'm I'm exposed to the BBC, BBC Radio quite a lot and the news, and I'm angry that millions of people still follow it and still you know it's still their um, version of reality, their version of truth that millions are following. It's really it's not really helpful, is it, for me to feel an overwhelming sense of resentment because I'm just hearing this. Why should I feel resentment? And this also um, is a phrase you've probably heard. Um, it's called, create something called spiritual loose. You've probably heard this phrase. And this is something I'm going to pick up in an upcoming episode on my sister's show, Discerning Consciousness podcast. Excuse the people walking their dog in the background. You can hear some voices. Um, yeah, that how, how important um, spiritual loose is. How it's created... And this is um, the uh, resentment, and is at least when we—I'm not saying we shouldn't feel resentment—but for me, feeling resentment towards the fact that so many people are still believing all the lies being pumped out by the mainstream media doesn't help me. It doesn't help other people, and this is an aspect of of louche. basically where we're create, where we're kind of puts into we're put into states of being or states of consciousness, if you will, that are really not very helpful um it's different if you know when we're facing an actual threat as i was saying before as we had during three years of covid19 when there were certain instances you know where people were being actually physically bullied into taking a medical procedure or being physically bullied into wearing a mask when they didn't want to when you know we should say we should we should say no and it is right and 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 it is right to, to 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 get angry and it is right for your in those sorts of situations for your emotions to rise. So I'm not I'm not saying, as we was talking about before, that, that we should always be sort of very, very passive, but a lot of the resentments that we have, I do feel are not particularly helpful, as I was just giving a specific example of, of, of my current situation. And also, of course, I don't want to get into the whole in-depth conversation of resentment, but I mean... One of the biggest resentments that we often um, hold, or one of the um, kind of the biggest ways in which we harbour resentment, is towards our own nearest and dearest—our wives, our husbands, our partners—and I think a lot of that is due to the fact that, again, back to this concept of living in a despiritualised world we don't really have a proper kind of framework of understanding of what is a relationship, what is a conscious, intimate relationship. What does that involve? It isn't just about being loving and kind and accepting of our partners. Of course, that's a very important aspect. But it's also um, being able to delve really deep and and being um, what I describe as like a conscious mirror to our significant aura other and to 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 be able to create a space where we can reveal to them this is what i believe the true point of relationships or relating is to be a mirror to those aspects of ourselves that we don't want to recognize uh, the ways in which we are holding ourselves back the ways in which we are um running from our fears uh, the ways in which perhaps we are not embracing certain aspects of our being or personality and living, you know, living a kind of a small existence, if I can put it like that. And and I think the fact that we don't live in a kind of society or culture where that is an accepted norm of the idea of generating, co-creating, perhaps I should say, conscious relationships. Of course, there are people out there who are Consciously, correlating and having deep conscious relationships, but of course we know many of our friends and many of our family family members and many of our acquaintances and all of the people out there in mainstream society—they're not. Most of them are playing the blame game, because we live, as I was saying, in a despiritualized world, and so I think obviously the main seat of resentment will. Uh, going into the future um, is um, is relationships and uh, hopefully we, we will see um, some sort of kind of shift because it is um, where a lot of pain and suffering is caused uh, resentment re- arising towards our, our significant other uh, and uh, and a lot of that is um, unnecessary simply because people are not given an understanding not talked uh, about things like emotional intelligence in schools and things like that so it's very difficult for people to accept and embrace the idea of being a mirror to their significant other anyway I don't want to get too much into that because obviously that is a, <laughs> that is a, a massive um, field so anyway um, it's just the range just picking up here you can hear in the background but lo- luckily I've got um, as I've said before I've got a nice little Nice little sleepy hollow here in the forest and a a canopy of trees so hopefully my recording device will still work and it won't be too invasive on the audio. Anyway moving on I just want to pick up um, an aspect of walking the path or being a spiritual seeker and um, that's what in terms of what actually happens when I'm not sure we make a conscious decision to stop, but when the inter- when the um, continuous need to seek finally pauses, so when we're not compelled to seek out new sources of information, when we really have made a conscious decision in ourselves to just come to a point of stillness and. As happened to me to some degree last September when my YouTube channel was cancelled, I kind of, because um, I didn't have an account, or I lost, you know, um, a lot of the people I was following which was dozens and dozens of people and many of which I would check in on a daily. I think we all have this kind of routine we get into, certainly we did during Covid because it was comforting to know that there were other people out there sharing our perspective and perhaps we couldn't Talk about certain truths with regards to COVID with our own nearest and dearest around us, and our friends and family. So it it was very comforting to go on to social media outlets, video platforms like YouTube, and and listen to people uh, who are sharing our opinion. But anyway, so last September, as you know, my account was deleted, cancelled for whatever reason. But actually in a perverse sort of way, as I said when I met up with my friend Niall Murphy, um earlier in the year in the video that he did when he was briefly in the UK. As I said to Niall, in a perverse sort of way, it kind of um although I lost an outlet to to speak to an audience on YouTube, the the weird thing was it kind of worked in my favour because I think I was just a point just about at the point where I was trying to come to stillness and as I said before it was at that point that I then decided to sell quite a lot of my books. Since then I've sold about 150 of my books because I realised that a lot of those books that in the past I would purchased because I was just seeking, seeking an answer. I know they often say that people that buy lots of books thinking they're going to find the ultimate kind of answer to life and the meaning of the universe Forgive me, I'm you know characterising this a little bit, but I think we've all been there. We know what that feels like. Is um, is it can be it can be like an unconscious process, uh, or oh, I'll go on Amazon or whatever your favourite book retailer is. And again, I think I said last time we probably shouldn't be supporting um, organisations like Amazon, but anyway, that's our own personal choice. But anyway. I think it also, sorry, yeah, the point I was trying to make was it also relates to the fact that if you buy a lot of books thinking, excuse me, there's a wind getting up there, um, if you buy a lot of books thinking that you're going to find the answer, you know, think of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the answer is number 42 and all that, it's another sign that perhaps you need to be writing a book yourself, so for all of you listening... Uh, to me today if you've ever fallen foul of this fallen foul of the same syndrome where you're just continually buying books perhaps you need to write your own books that's something to think about anyway so yeah it was kind of like a little bit forced on me this decision decision sorry to come to a point of of stillness uh, when my youtube channel was deleted or or cancelled and um, yeah But what I've experienced since last September, October time, so last last autumn, is it's almost as if uh, everything in my external world has shaken up. The kind of my living circumstances, I won't go into any details, how they're becoming a little bit more awkward. And also, perhaps even more intensely, in terms of things being shaken up, this noise being amplified is externally as well, and um, just like this feeling of rising darkness. Now, I know from my own studies over the years that what tends to happen, I'm not an expert on this, this is just, I hasten to add what I've just experienced and I've read about from this phenomena in case you're going through it yourself and you're trying to detach from all of these narratives um, in the old media is that the mind or the ego or the mind and the ego however you want to describe those things gets a little bit concerned that we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna um, head towards the exit gate and that they're no longer gonna be needed so that's why perhaps we experience a lot more depression and anxiety so that's just the the mind and the ego trying to assert itself and um, trying to make itself known, that you know, in no, in no uncertain terms, if you will, and that's why it's, it. I found it really, really difficult. It is like we make this conscious decision, you know. I'm coming to stillness now, or I'm trying to, I'm trying to quieten my mind, or I'm trying to kind of reach an internal equilibrium that realizes that in the past I've concerned myself and shared it on my on my um, platforms um, you know concerning myself with a lot of these alt media narratives that we we kind of get consumed by coming to an understanding that a lot of that is not really important and that can be quite difficult to do because obviously you've got to reflect on perhaps in the past I've invested a lot of emotional spiritual and psychological kind of energy into things perhaps I shouldn't have done but you know that was all part of my journey at the time but anyway just in summary on this particular point I'm going to make you know into the void today because again this is something that uh, as you might imagine I could talk about at length is that just watch for that um, because that's what I'm experiencing is a lot of those real deep and darkest uh, granular aspects of who and what we are are gonna come to the fore if we decide to head towards the the exit and try and come to a point of stillness. I know that's what I've experienced this since last autumn. Some real some real dark stuff has, has come up for me and I've had some, you know, quite difficult periods, difficult episodes to Uh, episodes of time I should say (laughs) not psychotic episodes um to deal with and it is it's not a unless you are you know unless you fall into the trap of um spiritual bypassing whereby you're coming to stillness but not doing it in in an in a sincere way you're doing it in quite an insincere way I think that that's quite tempting as well I think we all need to tune in and (laughs) cop out at times uh, because it can be uh, to to come to stillness in a in a sincere grounded way can be really really um, difficult and I'm all trying to do it sorry and I'm trying to do it on my own Uh, I think I said this in a previous episode yeah about it's a double-edged sword when we're going through kind of our own journey of awakening our journey of selfhood how in, in one regard, it can be really helpful to have someone to guide you, to hold your hand through that process, but by the, by the other token, the flip side of that is there's so many um, kind of, how should we say, let's be kind, ungrounded spiritual teachers out there. So it's all about trying to find someone that you truly resonate with, but doing it on your own by the same token is very, like I'm doing at the moment, is extremely difficult it's an extremely difficult process because it's very, very difficult to be. It's very, very difficult to be um, objective as we as as we go through the process, as you're probably well aware. Anyway, I'm going to move on now to the next part of my uh, into the void weekly catch up. So I'm going to do a complete about face, as is my want now, and delve into the world of kind of truth or conspiracy narratives if you will i was just thinking the other day what has happened to all the terror threats you may may well have been wondering yourself so um here in the uk we have we have i i'm not sure when it first came in it was probably after 9 11 but it might have been after um, 7 7 and the attack on the uh, london underground on july the 7th 2005 which has been described as Britain's 9-11 if you like um, so yeah we have this kind of this um, this uh, system and I think it goes from 1 to 5 and the top uh, the highest level of threat is where um, a terror attack is imminent is definitely going to happen don't ask me how the intelligence services know that and then I don't know if it's 5 or 0 whereby it's you know there's no threat Anyway, th- as we know, this um, terror threat, um, since 9-11 at least, has um, related to the idea of Islamic terrorism or Islamic terror threats. It used to be uh, Al-Qaeda, but then they, they, I don't know what happened to Al-Qaeda, I think they were retired off. I don't know, perhaps they, um, they weren't pleased with the royalties they were getting, I don't know. Perhaps they didn't like all the green screen stuff, I'm not sure. Anyway, so the kind of like the more common form is is ISIS or Islamic State. But of course also we knew um, when the pandemic started in March 2020 that the chances are that we probably wouldn't hear much about ISIS or IS or Islamic State anymore or phantom Islamic terror threats because um, the powers that be or however you want to describe the Global power structures beyond uh, political puppets that we see the globalists, if you like, had decided to move on to a new form of creating fear in the minds of um, in the minds of the general public. Now, one of the reasons why I think there's been a move away from um, them using Islamic terrorism is basically, if you think again. If, 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 if they're trying, the system is trying to push this whole idea of wokeism and woke politics, politics where we're supposed to embrace all religions and all minorities, well, it's a little bit contradictory to continually point the finger at um, Islamic militants or Islamic terrorism when we're supposedly living in this era where we should all embrace different religions to our own, in this instance, um, Islam. So I think that might be one reason. Although of course, in the past they've probably done that in order to gaslight us and again back to what I was talking about in terms of creating um loose energy, I also think that um this kind of this seem this seeming to the way in which the globalists have moved on from using Islamic terrorism as the main way in which to create fear amongst the general population. I think one of the other reasons why they've done this is since 9-11, since 7-7 in 2005, obviously we've seen the pl- proliferation, get my words out, of smartphones, smartphone technology, and also, of course, the rise and rise and rise of citizens' journalists in the alternative sphere. And, of course, now everyone has uh, a phone in their in their pocket about their person. They can use that to film um, kind of uh, incidents, let's just call them incidents when they happen, So, um, unlike back in 2005 in London, and unlike in 2001 in New York and in DC uh, and a few other various locations of course, um, back then it was a lot harder for alternative uh, narratives, alternative to the mainstream news outlets to get out there. Now alternative, um, uh, if people haven't been banned or censored of course, but I still think that is a fear from the from the globalists or the power structure behind the, um, excuse me, the um, political puppets, if I can put it like that. There is a fear that if they're trying to push out a, a, a kind of obviously, a very obvious kind of version of events that doesn't make any sense and people can get out alternative um alternative versions of the truth of what's actually happening and live stream it, uh, obviously instantaneously, that it's a lot much more of a risky tactic um, to employ. So I think kind of like with the, um, with COVID, what we've seen and subsequently is much more using much more psychological techniques to instill fear um rather than actually having things where things are actually blown up to put it in a very crude way uh because sometimes obviously with a lot of these incidents you have um you have some truth where some things do actually get blown up uh, you have some sort of uh untruth where certain things that were claimed to have been blown up uh, aren't actually blown up and um is kind of like a risky. It is a um, a risky strategy, because there are a lot of people, you know, who 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 research these um, things that have happened, like Sandy Hook, um, like the Boston Marathon um, bombing as well. And I, I know that's a, again it's a whole di- a whole discussion for another day. Certain people who believe that the attack at Sandy Hook that never actually happened, and the images of people that we saw at the Boston bombing, like the very iconic image of the guy in the wheelchair who had lost uh, one of his limbs or at least uh, the lower part, sorry, one of his limbs as people come out and say that's all faked. I think it's obviously it's um, we need to be careful when making such um, claims. And I mean, my my um, very, very quick uh, perspective on this is with a lot of these incidents i think you get you get fake mixed in with with real and i think that's um i think that's very very deliberate but i think the reason why i have mentioned this is because over time it gets harder and harder and harder for the globalists to to pull off these things in, in a way without them being properly scrutinized so that's why in summary to get back to my point that's why I think we've seen um kind of the ending of terror threats. Don't excuse me, there's a mozzie on my ear there. Um, don't, don't. I don't think we should fool ourselves. I think the way in which the system works, and it may, we may see a return to the use of the phantom Islamic terror threat again. But it does seem in which now in this sort of post-COVID era here in the UK at least, what what it's all around is using. um the kind of global warming and the threat of uh, annihilation or total destruction because of the way us awful humans have behaved. Um, I think that this seems to be the um, this seems to be um, the uh, the main t- tactic or the main choice now to spread fear, and that um, brings me on nicely. Um, to the next thing I want to talk about in today's uh, Into the Void. And that's, there's this political controversy going on in the UK about this new new scheme called uh, Ultra Low Emission Zone. So it's in London and it's just been expanded from the inner London boroughs to the outer London boroughs. And there was recently a a court case and uh, the court case was thrown out so the Mayor of London can now launch this new scheme beginning um, in a few weeks time in August as I say which includes the whole of Greater London which as you might understand is, is a very very big area very very big geographical area and people now are going to pay if they're using so-called this really annoys me so-called older gas guzzling vehicles, which um, I own an older vehicle which is very well maintained by my superb mechanic Steve and it has been for many years and it certainly isn't a gas guzzler. but anyway, people are going to be charged excuse the wind getting up there people are going to be charged 12 pound fifty a day if they enter the outer suburbs of London, which obviously for those who may well um, perhaps they live just near the borders of outer London and they have to drive into outer London that's just going to be a completely ridiculous situation Um, but the interesting thing the reason why I'm mentioning this ultra low emission zone and you may have your own examples in the country or wherever you're listening to this particular recording today and as we know um, this kind of the fake green agenda, as I call it or green fascism. <laughs> it has nothing to do about reducing emissions. Um, of course, pollution is a serious issue and someone that has a lung problems, I'm very much attuned to such things. you know it's right that uh, buses should be electric if, if they can be possibly. But people shouldn't be coerced or forced into driving electric or let's get it right battery vehicles because that's what they actually are battery vehicles because that is not um as i say that's just a form of green um green fascism now the other thing of course we're said this is all part of the drive towards um carbon zero or carbon neutral which is the preferred um the preferred phrase and as we know the reality of trying to create carbon neutral in an industrial society is that um the way of life that we have known is going to be completely destroyed because a lot of these green so-called carbon neutral alternatives are nothing of the sort and they're not going to fill the gap as we know it so again again we're being gaslighted and no doubt this i haven't read his book but no doubt Klaus Schwab's the great reset no doubt this forms um a large part of of that particular book which he wrote I'm not sure if it was before or I think it was at the outset of covid or coincidence but anyway as we know basically national governments they can't admit admit the truth that to go towards a completely carbon neutral society Uh, will be the end of modern industrial society and a lot of the uh, kind of creature comforts that we all actually I quite like and quite enjoy I mean conveniences that we just take for granted of course and yeah like I was just saying national governments they can't admit the truth because um, they're far too invested in the lie so uh, governments around the Western world are still pushing this idea that we're going to make this transition from industrial to a carbon neutral society, and this is going to happen, and there'll be charge points everywhere, and people will all be driving around in electric vehicles, uh, and you know, everything will be hunky dory. And of course, that's all a complete lie. With they'll either have to push the deadlines back, or they have to just drop it all. Now, what the reason uh, why I'm mentioning the ULES or the ultra low emission zone in London is because. It is causing a lot of um, political. Uh, there is a lot of political outcry because, obviously, even the political class, left or right, who are in the UK both Labour, Conservative, are both they're both completely signed up to the globalist agenda, the green agenda, right? So they're not gonna. They're not going to. You know, they're not gonna publicly, at least, say, well, we need to. So here in the UK, the deadline for. Um, cars is that from 2030 no new diesel or normal petrol cars will be able to be sold so you'll still be able to like me I've got a normal petrol car you'll still be able to drive them but no um, new cars will be sold that um, sorry no petrol diesel new cars will be able to be sold from 2030 so at the moment at least it appears as if there is no backtracking but by the same token, both left and right, for whatever it's worth, same wings on the on same wings on the same bird, of course, all completely irrelevant, but both left and right labour conservative um you know certain aspects, they're saying, well, we're in a cost of living crisis, and it's not fair people you know being charged twelve pound fifty to 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 drive into to greater London. it's really completely unfair depending on one's particular circumstances so this is where the rubber hits the road pardon the pun but this is where on the one hand this is where reality is beginning to hit with a lot of these green fascistic agendas and i don't apologize for that i know it sounds a bit sort of crazy conspiracy but i think let's be honest that's what a lot of these green agendas are really about are restricting people's basic Civil libi- libert- liberties, their basic um, freedom of movement under uh, a green cloak or a green banner, if you like. But the issue here is that the political class, obviously, they don't want people to. If they want to, if they want to be popular, if they want to, sorry, if they want to still be electorally popular, both Labour and Conservative. They still have to come out to some degree and say, well, this is unfair on the motorists. But at the same time, they're signed up to the fake green agenda or green fascism. So you can see this again, and I've spoken about at length recently, is is how a lot of these agendas are beginning to unravel. Because on the one hand, you can't push this green fascism where you insist people embrace alternatives to carbon fuels, which... As we know, is a complete misnomer. But on the one hand, also be electorally popular by appealing to the fact that people are, you know, a lot of people are really struggling financially right now. It's like never the twain shall meet. So I think what what this actually means is it is again, it's part of the the great revealing. It is part of this idea of things unravelling and where truths more and more are going to surface. I think what we're going to see is a lot of these agendas are... I think they're going to be watered down. I think that a lot of these agendas, the deadlines, as I say, the one with the cars in the UK uh, being 2030 at the moment, I think it's going to be pushed back because I think, again, in kind of truth and conspiracy uh, world, I think, and I'm guilty of this, hold up my hand, <laughs> um I think we often forget that, you know, the political establishment and the powers that be for all the ways in which they manipulate the general public, as we saw during COVID, they still need to have them on board, to have them on side. So they still need to feel as if the general public are invested in the system, which was easy, as we know, during a medical emergency to do that, as I've said before, forgive me. But they still need to feel as if the general public do are invested at least some degree in in politics and, you know, the debate around issues. Because um, I think that if enough people um, kind of just turn around and say, this is all nonsense, I, I can't even vote anymore. So let's just say at the moment, at general elections in the UK, turnout is around about 70% around about 70 to low 70s sometimes i think it gets to sort of high 60s if that fell below 50% then even the most ardent supporters of you know the established political system that we, we that we live in would say there's something wrong with our democracy in the UK that you know we need to we need to create a better system so that's why i do think that You know the powers that be, um, the front, the political front of globalism, or globalisation, if you like, the 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 red and the red and blue and the green and the yellow rosetted people. Okay, um, they they do need to try and keep the public on board. So that's why I think that we could see an unraveling to to some degree at least of um, these green agendas. Um, which I think will, will be a good thing because um, as much as a lot of the, po- the population as we know in whatever country you're listening in are propagandised um, find it hard to, you know, see the truth of issues for whatever reason I think they know that there's something inherently wrong about a lot of these green agendas they might not be able to connect all the dots like us guys probably can do um, and they know it's just wrong that, that you know, I think in their heart of hearts they know that they may well support green issues and all the rest of it, but they know um that it isn't necessarily all it purports to be. I'll just leave it at that. And and it is again it's another interesting thing to keep an eye on how how the globalists in specific countries, how they're gonna because we know what the aim is. The aim is like these fifteen minute cities where people every all their movements are tracked and they just create more and more convoluted ways in which to tax us to restrict our movement and i don't think i'm i'm not promoting fear here i mean this is in their own texts like um the great reset by klaus schwab this is what you know you'll you'll uh, you'll owe nothing and be happy etc etc um so we know what their goal is i think they're failing i don't think they will reach their goal i mean perhaps in certain cities in 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 certain locations in the world, people want to live like that, I'm not I'm not imposing my, you know, my desires or wishes, there are some people, some people who want to live in a te- technocratic gulag, that's their, that's their want, so in certain places in the world, you know, and at the same time they, 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 they embrace this green fascism, they can't see it, for what it is, but anyway, I'm talking about, for the sort of general population as a whole, millions and millions of people who don't Who aren't a part of um, Stop Oil and Extinction, rebelling and all the rest of it, (laughs) and just want to get on with their lives? I do. I do think more and more these people are waking up and realizing, well, this is unjust. If I'm being charged, you know, twelve pound fifty to just drive a few yards uh, into a different district, this is absolutely ridiculous. So. I mean, you know, look in your own country, there will be a, a a move more and more, and this is all part of the Great Awakening, like I was just saying, whereby they have to try and keep the the public, the electorate on board, so there could be a watering down. So anyway, I'm just gonna finish um this specific it's been a bit of a long one today, a bit of a long into the void today. Um I just wanna pick up something that um I touch upon quite a lot and um oh some nice squirrels over there that's nice to see um and this is just something from my um covid memoirs which i'm drawing from my head and this what i think was a really important um aspect of the whole covid thing covid19 the pandemic, as i call it is when it first broke in march 2020 and this is something um that really did I spoke about on my um, YouTube channel at the time was this sense in which on the one hand we had the horror of the situation, the horror of the manipulation, the horror of people being locked down the horror of vulnerable people um, not being able to see, you know, their support workers, their normal um, their normal support structures, the horror of older people not being able to see their family etc, etc, etc. We all, you know, can remember that situation but on the other hand um, we felt vindicated we had this sense of vindication of conspiracy theorists because we knew that something big was coming perhaps we didn't um, think it would come in this type of form I mean I didn't, sorry to go off the beam a little bit but I thought if there was going to be this new thing that would uh, impact billions of people and uh, you know, literally over 200 countries because it was coming from the World Health Organization of course top down structures as we know I thought, I thought it would be something that would be quite clever, and as much as it has been extremely divisive, I mean, anyone with an ounce of intelligence from day one knew it was a dumpster fire, something, you know, the whole COVID-19 thing. It didn't, you know, they didn't manage to divide the truth movement. Um, you know, I, I think we all, we all stood pretty firm through it, really, and it galvanised us, really and and because we just felt so vindicated that whatever our perspective within the whole true world, because there are many different perspectives as we know of course and i speak at length as you probably know about what can happen if we become a little bit unbalanced as i did in the past but anyway that yeah we felt vindicated um um because We've had to deal with all of this craziness um, on a day to day situation whether it's you know going to the dentist and making sure that we don't have mercury fillings or if our dentist says you know um, do, you, do you want a fluoride wash to, to, to make sure that your teeth aren't uh, so sensitive no you're okay no you're okay you know we've had to we've had to face this you know perhaps you know not having other vaccinations not just the fake vax or or numerous other aspects um of our lives where we've had to monitor how we behave and monitor what we ingest and monitor you know the actions we take so when covid came along it's like oh we've been doing this most of our lives since we began to wake up wake up so this is um nothing new and that since Of being vindicated, as I spoke about in a particular YouTube video, as I was just saying, for me personally, really, it it helped galvanise me in that it's like, okay, I can do this, I can do this, because we knew it was coming. It confirmed our worst fears, and we knew a lot of people were suffering unnecessarily, unnecessarily, but as we've all, you know, double-edged swords, that sense of vindication helped us going helps us to you know keep going because it was a very it was a challenge but just drawing on my covid memoirs from a deeper aspect of this idea of vindication i know there was a there was an aspect in which we could have um because when you feel vindicated you can feel a little bit arrogant so the the flip side sorry the wind getting up um the flip side of this sort of vindication is you can we could have um and i remember i did fall into it a little bit become a little bit arrogant if you like and i think that's where there was the aspect for for personal growth if you like because it's like okay we knew this was coming uh you know and um we could have just fallen over to the being a little bit like clever dicks as we say <laughs> the phrase in the uk just being a little bit arrogant. And then I saw a little bit of that with certain types of people, you know. Oh, look at the stupid sheep all wearing their masks, queuing up to get an untested medical um, procedure. So if we fell into that, you know, that sort of bit of conceitedness, if you like, in that vindication, that's where the growth aspect was, if you like, um, you know, of not of not becoming um arrogant of not well look at me you know i know what's going on i know the truth about covid19 and uh, i did fall into that um to a little bit in that certain family members i didn't want them to take the um i didn't want them to take the untested medical procedure the fake backs, and then initially at least with the first one and then it was like and that's their decision. If you really truly love them, as hard as it is, and as hard as it was, and I'm sure you guys have got your own instances of um, going through that. It was a particularly hard aspect to, to see people you love and cherish, perhaps go and do things that weren't in their best interest, but you had to. we had to let that go. We had to go, well, okay, if they feel Um, that's what they need to do to to feel like they're protected from this thing whatever it is whether it exists or not that uh, again that was the growth aspect um, the growth aspect that we had uh, along with the sort of um, along with, with with the vindication sort of thing and and really what helped me get what helped me to get through that when there were loved ones people close to me that were queuing up to get their fake vax was that when it comes to um, medical things and when it comes to health a lot of people because of the kind of healthcare system we have uh, the allopathic med- medical model you know we're not encouraged to think for ourselves that is changing has been changing which is a good thing but people don't really trust themselves and they still defer to external power and you know i just i just rec- i just had to recognize that and realize that people you know w- we're not there yet we're still a long long way from people being truly empowered sovereign beings i am i'm still <laughs> trying my best and you know it's important to remember that and that's why i'm drawing on this particular aspect of my covid memoirs that there was a lot of it that was challenging, but that is the growth aspect. That is the growth aspect. And I see certain types of people who perhaps didn't appreciate that, who are still online and they're still talking about COVID-19, which I'm not saying is right or wrong, but they're still going with that vindication and they want to out out certain people and they weren't they want certain high profile public figures whether it's fauci in the us or um, whether it's other high profile figures in these <laughs> excuse me names escape me here in the uk perhaps political figures like boris johnson who was prime minister at the time to to actually take it to be you know tried to, to be taken to account for what happened again i'm not saying that's right or wrong but you we have to check in with ourselves and think is that part of that sort of arrogance that came with feeling vindicated and and at a certain level we need to just stop and recognize that basically because of the way the systems work um it's unlikely that we we ever will see um justice on the political level justice on the political level but there is a higher justice that I think people forget. There is a higher justice, an unseen justice, uh, a cosmic justice, an otherworldly justice that will, be, um, w- that will be administered, and always has been administered, I think, from the moment existence started. Anyway, don't want to get too deep on you guys in this particular episode. Anyway, I think I'll round things up there. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the latest episode. Episode six of Into the Void in which I share my weekly um musings. So yeah, thank you all for tuning in and I'll catch up with you all, with you all again very soon. Bye bye for now.